It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Now pitching number 39, Edwin Diaz. Dun, 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 dun. All right, I'm not going to do any more of that. Welcome to the Edwin Diaz edition of Rico Bronia, where we'll focus on Edwin's impending free agency, his career as a Met, how much he should make. If the Mets should sign him, spoiler alert, yes. And how the hell you replace him, which I got to tell you is impossible. We'll get into that as uh, time goes on. I do think it's fascinating to see how our view of Edwin Diaz has evolved from 2019 to 2022. And, And look, there's nothing wrong. I always say this. When you're criticizing a player in the moment or you're criticizing a move in the moment, you're not predicting you're commenting. You're not saying, hey, this player is going to suck forever, necessarily. Sometimes you may. But a lot of times, you're just reacting to what you see. So Edwin Diaz in the second half of 2019 was bad. That's not uh, an argument. That's a fact. And I think really up until the beginning of this season, 2022, he was always regarded as a guy, fair or not, and we'll discuss it, as a guy that no Met fan would trust. In 2022, he had such a dominant season that now we trust him. Now we're going to do a podcast in which we basically beg Steve Cohen to keep him because he's completely impossible to replace. And I think that's what's so fascinating about Edwin Diaz's time as a New York Met. We all remember the trade. And I know that when that trade first went down, the Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz trade for Jared Kelnick, there were other players involved that we all forget. Big contracts like Jay Bruce was in that. Was it Jay Bruce in that trade? Oh, my God. I'm losing my mind. on Who the hell was in that trade? Jay Bruce was definitely in the tr- trade. And was Paul Seawald part of that trade, too, or no? I don't think Paul Seawald was a part of that trade. They actually traded um, an expensive relief pitcher. And now I'm trying to remember what it was. All right, here it is. I'm on baseball reference, so we can actually get it correct. It was Robbie Cano and Edwin Diaz for Jared Kelnick. Justin Dunn, Jay Bruce, Gerson Bautista, and here's the expensive reliever, Anthony Swarzak. And oh, yeah, he sucked. <laughs> yeah, he was terrible. In the short term of this trade, the Mets were dumping contracts. We always think about them taking on Robbie's contract, which obviously they did, but they were also dumping the back end of Jay Bruce's contract, and I think it was the final year of Anthony Swarzak's contract. So, That sort of gets forgotten over time. I mean, I think this is a perfect example of it. Two years ago, I would have told you this trade like the back of my hand. But I think as time goes by, you sort of forget. You forget the ancillary pieces to it. Um, But Jared Kelnick obviously was the big name. It it felt very Scott Kazmir-like in that here's this big prospect that then for the next three years, we all watched very closely. And every time there was a report of, oh, my God, Jared Kelnick's going to be the next Mike Trout. This is um, unbelievable. How could the Mets have given him up? What are they thinking? Uh, we would all freak out. And then we watched Jared Kelnick play baseball at the major league level. And we all felt so much better. I mean, Jared Kelnick being a 168 hitter as a career major leaguer, he's still young, by the way, things can change, has certainly eased our concerns on what Kelnick could be. But let's go back to the trade because – It was a very controversial trade, and it was a hotly debated trade. And I remember my view at the time was twofold. Number one, I always said, and this was prophetic. This one I'll take a W on. 
I always said we cannot refer to this trade as the Robbie Cano trade. It's the Edwin Diaz trade. That the New York Mets key to this trade was acquiring this young reliever in the prime of his career, really before the prime of his career. Because remember, Edwin Diaz at this point was coming off this incredible year with the Mariners in 2018. He had a 1.96 ERA, say 57 games, but he was 24 years old with four years of control. So yeah, Robbie Cano was the big name, his time with the Yankees, the Mets are desperate for a bat, the steroids, the contract, all that. But I remember saying that on the air to Joe, this is the Edwin Diaz trade. Robbie Cano is the biggest name in it, but this is the Edwin Diaz trade. And that's why the Mets made it. Now it was also made during the Wilpon era. So absorbing what turned out to be an even worse contract than we imagined was more damaging then than it is today. Uh, We're going to do more podcasts, obviously, as this season rolls on. And one of them that I was, I don't know if we're going to do a whole podcast on it, was ideas on how to move bad contracts because James McCann's a bad contract. Not that Darren Ruff's a terrible contract, but it's not a great contract. Hey, what would you deal those guys for? Well, there's a different context to that in 2023 because we have an owner who doesn't give a rat's ass. We have an owner who would say, you suck. We'll just eat the money. That wasn't the case in 2018 going into 2019. So obviously the context of the trade was far different, but I always looked at it as this is the Edwin Diaz trade. Now, is it worth giving up a top of the line prospect for a relief pitcher? Probably not. But what bothered me about the trade was if you're going to give up a top prospect, then the Mariners better eat a big part of Robbie's contract. And if you're going to eat a big part of Robbie's contract, which with Steve Cohen owning the team, I would gladly eat bad contracts if it meant not giving up top prospects. For example, a little preview of a later podcast. Would you take on a horrific contract like Anthony Rendon if it meant softening the price on Shohei Otani? Yes, because we have a billionaire owner now. But back when this trade was made, we viewed it very differently. So. Hoff, be honest now. When that trade was made, Robbie Cano, Edwin Diaz, we all knew about Jared Kelnick, Justin Dunn, another sort of prospect, or was a prospect, but not was not as devastating as dealing Kelnick. Forget Bruce and Swarzak. Your reaction to that trade was You pretty much nailed it. I mean, there's there's no uh there's no comparison. You you do one or the other. I'm all forgetting Edwin Diaz. I'm all for giving up Jarek Kelnick. I'm all for taking on Robinson Cano's contract, but not both. You can't do both. So that's where they failed, no matter what, because you could have saved Kelnick for a rainy day, or you could have, uh, you know, you could have just saved, mo- you could have eaten money at a later point in time for somewhere else. To do both for just Edward Diaz, I think was too much. I was fine with getting Diaz. I just think they overpaid. That's all. Yeah. Closers are tough to find. And I think as Met fans, we know that firsthand. You know, sharing a city with Mariano Rivera and seeing how easy that looked for so long. Not that anyone's Mariano, but we've gone through so many crappy closers over the years. And some of them, the ones that you sort of forget about. 
You know, we all know Armando Benitez, who actually was a good regular season closer. We all remember Billy Wagner and Jairus Familia, but let's not forget Bobby Parnell as a closer for a couple of years or Braden Looper as closer for a couple of years. Uh, it's very John difficult. Rausch. Yeah, John Roush. How many saves did John <laughs> Roush get, though? Let's be Maybe honest. seven. <laughs> it, finding a closer is really tough. And I remember thinking, okay, guy's 23, 24 years old. Maybe he's our guy. Not that you could ever think anyone will be Mariano Rivera, but hey, maybe we will have a top-level closer. Maybe he'll be our Roldis Chapman or Kenley Jansen. Two guys who have had pretty good careers, but I think we'd all agree nowhere near the level of a Mariano Rivera. So going into the 2019 season, I had hope. Now again, Cano got most of the attention. It was all about what does Robbie have left? What can Robbie Cano do? What will Robbie Cano do? How will he be? And I think he had a home run in his first game off Max Scherzer, if memory serves correct, back in 2019. So Edwin Diaz comes here, comes off an amazing 2018, saves 57 games, has a 1.96 ERA, he's 25 years old, and, and this makes time feel so weird, four years of team control. And that just makes me laugh because we're doing a podcast about his free agency. Four years of team control, we all thought about. Now, do you remember, that when Edwin Diaz began the 2019 season, for the first month and a half, he was awesome. He was great. In fact, until May 28th, and that's really the line of demarcation, and there's a few games you could look at and say, this was it for Edwin Diaz. To me, I was at Disney World Memorial Day weekend, and I snuck looking at my phone. I was not DVRing the game at the time. I was on a ride. I think I was on... It's a whole new world. Not a whole new world. Uh, it's a small world after all. It's a small world, yes. A whole new yes. world's a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of them. And I quickly said, hon, I'm going to check the Met game. And that's when, at the time, the brilliant manager of the New York Mets, you may recall him, you may remember him, his name was Mickey Calloway, what a douche, decided to go to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning of a game against the Tigers, in which Diaz blew it, wasn't an awful blown save, but a blown save. And the Mets actually went on and won that game. And for some reason, I don't know why, I think back to that game as the game that ruined Edwin Diaz. Because before you know it, he's crapping the bed against the LA Dodgers. But up until that point, May 28th is the line of demarcation. He had a 1.64 ERA. He had thrown 22 innings, had struck out 35 guys, and had walked seven. And that one blown save is what I mentioned. When he came in in the eighth inning against Detroit, was 13 for 14 in saves. He was great. The only hiccup he had had was against our new friend, and now old friend, Jesse Winker, who hit a couple of home runs against him back in mid to late April. They weren't blown saves. They were just him coming into a tie game, giving up a home run. So he did have a couple of hiccups. But until June, Edwin Diaz was awesome. Like Edwin Diaz was, was everything we had envisioned. And then he decided to stick it up our ass. The game against the Dodgers that they lost 9-8, the suspended game against the Cardinals when Pete Alonzo was begging, hey, don't, don't, let's play or let's stop. And I forget what he did. All I know is he effed it up. And they suspended the game. And the brilliant manager, Mickey Calloway, decided to let Edwin Diaz pitch the restart to the game the following day. 
And Edwin put together a collection of just awful blown saves that I don't want to go through because we already did a depressing episode of horrible Met season ending losses. So why would we sit here going through all of those losses from 2019, a year in which the Mets put together as many epic collapses as you'll ever see capped off by the Kurt Suzuki game against the nationals in September. That was the capper where they gave up seven runs in the ninth inning. But Edwin Diaz began to suck. There's no defending it. He was awful. Uh, He basically lost the closers job by the end of the year. Seth Lugo was getting saves and the trade really looked at that point like a disaster because Robbie Cano busting out and not being good. Okay, fine. He was old. You never know. But Edwin Diaz couldn't be bad. He needed to be, if not the best closer in baseball, a top five closer. And he was awful in 2019. 2020 is weird. If you look at Edwin Diaz's stats in 2020, you see a really good ERA and you see really good numbers. But what I would tell you, and think back to this if you even remember 2020 because it's such a weird season, he blew a lot of games. And that was my problem with him. He put up good numbers, but he always gave up that inopportune home run. There was a blown save against the Yankees where they had a big lead. Uh, there was a blown save against the Marlins. There were, there were just so many of them in a short period of time. So Edwin Diaz's 2020 was better, but you still couldn't trust him. You still looked at him and said, Ugh, is this really the guy who could be on the mound to record the final three outs of a championship team? 2021 was different. Because in 2021, while his ERA was higher than in the shortened season of 2020, and he did blow saves, Jacob Stalling says hi, he wasn't as bad. He was better. He was better. And the argument that would be made to me about him in 2021, which was a fair one, was, hey, forget about 2019 for a second. Forget about 2020. In 2021, how many closers were worse? Or, phrase it this way, how many closers are better? Because there were a lot of closers worse. And sometimes we forget that. We only worry about ourselves. We see Edwin Diaz blowing saves. We see Jacob Stallings hitting game-winning home runs. And we say, he sucks. I can't trust him. But at the end of 2021, we all kind of agreed, hey, we can't trust Edwin Diaz. So I gave it further thought. Because I listened to those I debate with. And there were a lot of Diaz supporters, one of which I play fan baseball with, who would always write me defending Edwin Diaz. And I thought he was a little bit of a fanboy for Diaz, but I wanted to give a thought. And the one point he always made that was true, and I give him credit, was who's better? And I'm telling you right now, not that you want to do it. Who wants to go back to 2021? There weren't a lot of guys better. And so it was easy to say, get rid of Edwin Diaz. Replace Edwin Diaz. Let Seth Lugo be the closer. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Thank God that the New York Mets, with all the different general managers they've had over the last few years, Porter, Scott, now Billy Epler, that they all came to the same conclusion. While he may be flawed, while he may be flawed, he's probably our best option. And that brought us to this season, his fourth year of control. So year one, disaster after Memorial Day. Great for two months. No one denies that. Disaster. 2020. I didn't think it was good despite his low ERA. 2021, much better. Not great. Still don't trust him, but probably a top four closer in all of Major League Baseball. And that brings us to 2022. 
When Edwin Diaz did the reverse Julius Randle, he did the impossible. He went from not trusted, I'll boom as soon as he throws ball one, two. Holy crap, this guy's awesome. And what's funny is that when you look at 2022, this historically good season that Edwin Diaz had, a 1.31 ERA, 118 strikeouts in 62 innings, which is really absurd. But when you go back and look at this season, there were moments early in the year in which Edwin Diaz was typical. He was typical. They go to Arizona, and what does he do? He gives up a game-tying home run and blows a save. The good news is the Mets won, so we're able to move on from that. Middle of May, goes to St. Louis. Blows a save, walks a couple of guys. But you know what? They won the game, so we're all good. We're okay, he's blown a couple of saves. And then Edwin Diaz would blow a save for the final time in the season, a game that drew me nuts. And that was that game against the Giants where the Mets ended up losing 13-12. It was a very, very late game. They were actually getting blown out in this game. It was one of those accepted losses where you said, okay, it's 8-2 to two in the seventh, we're going to lose. It's eight to four going into the eighth inning. We're going to lose. And then they came back and took the league. That was the Jock Peterson game where Jock Peterson just kept hitting home runs. And Edwin Diaz got a huge double play with a one run lead to get it to two outs and nobody on. And I, you know, Edwin Diaz is going to save this game. It's going to be an incredible performance. And then he gave up a single two. I don't, I don't want to do this. He gave up a walk and then a single to Darren Ruff. He did. It was a single to Darren Ruff. And then he gave up back-to-back hits to Jock Peterson and Brandon Crawford, and they lost the game. And it was a very frustrating loss. It was a very typical Edwin Diaz blown save because they won the game. There's two outs, nobody on. He gets this huge double play. Game's over. And Edwin admits after the game, I lost concentration. After the double play, I thought the game was over. And he was wrong. Four straight guys got on base, and he blew the save. But here's what's amazing, and here's where I give Edwin Diaz so much credit. And I didn't realize this about him, but we have. He took that game against the Giants, this horrible blown save against the Giants, and basically announced to the world, I am never blowing another save again. And that was his last blown save of the season. It happened in May, and he was locked down after that. And there were a few things Edwin did in 2022 that I never thought he'd be able to do. Number one, he sort of proved he didn't give a crap what people thought about him or how people booed him or how he was treated because Met fans hated Edwin Diaz. And he sort of let it all roll off his back. And we make such a big deal these days about players being offended that they're booed or, oh, booing is so wrong. Well, There are guys, and I'll give the Yankees credit, Giancarlo Stanton specifically with him, and I'll give Edwin Diaz credit, who've heard the boos. They've heard loud boos, and they never were friended by it, and more importantly, never let it bother them. And Edwin Diaz, after that blown save against the San Francisco Giants, authored the most dominant closing season we've ever seen from a Met closer. And he did it in every single way. He blew you away, and then if he had some struggles and he put a couple of guys on base, he would always make the best pitch or the better pitch to get you out. He really offered a marvelous season. And then the other thing he showed, 
was the ability to be used in any situation. For so many years when I would scream on the air about, I think we should use relievers differently. One of the retorts I'd always get from old school fans, and I think I'm old school to a degree, would be, oh, you can't do that. They know their roles. I'm a ninth inning guy. I'm an eighth inning guy. I'm a seventh inning guy. And my retort would be, well, they're taught that. If a manager only uses them in the eighth inning, then they become an eighth inning guy. But if you tell your relievers, I'm going to use you when I use you, maybe they don't get caught in that mindset of I can only pitch the eighth. I can only pitch the ninth. I've heard that about closers for years. You can't use Billy Wagner in a tie game. Why? He's a freaking major league pitcher. Go get guys out. I heard that about Mariano Rivera when he would struggle at times. Can't use Mariano in a tie game. Excuse me? A tie game at home? I can't use the best pitcher in the history of baseball as a closer because, oh, it's a tie game? It's stupid. And Edwin Diaz proved in 2022, if I'm locked in, it doesn't matter if it's the eighth inning against the Dodgers. It doesn't matter if it's the ninth inning against this team. I'll get guys out. And Buck Showalter, I thought, did it brilliantly. He deployed him, you know, not in all situations, because that would be an overstatement, not until the playoffs when we got desperate. Uh, But during the regular season, eighth inning, ninth inning, I'll use you because you give us the best chance to get people out. And that's why, part of why, it's not the only reason, why Edwin Diaz is impossible to replace. Because not only did he author a dominant closing season in which you hope he can at least come close to doing again, Edwin Diaz showed you what Andrew Miller showed the world of half a decade ago. You can use me whenever. You can use me whenever. And in a contract year, Edwin Diaz didn't give a crap because we've evolved. We don't care how many saves he has. Does it matter how many saves Edwin Diaz had? What if I told you a story? And that story said, hey, Edwin Diaz saved as many games in 2022 as 2021. He did. Now, does anyone dumb enough to think he was as good in 2021 as he was in 2022? Of course not, because you watched him. Saves the totality of saves. And oh, by the way, in 2022, the Mets won 100 games. And in 2021, they didn't. They won 20 plus less games as a team. He saved the same amount of games. He threw the same amount of innings. It didn't matter because he was deployed in all situations and it worked. Not all situations, you know what I mean? In multiple situations and it worked. And a lot of closers can't do that. So, That's the story of Edwin Diaz. In his fourth year in a contract year, he put it all together and authored the most dominant season we've ever seen from a closer. And even when the Mets got eliminated and Buck Showalter's using him in the seventh inning, he was fine. I know he ended up giving up a two-run single, but it was with inherited runners. No one blames Edwin Diaz for the Mets' failures against the Padres. No one does. No one blames Edwin Diaz for the failures against Atlanta. We look back and say our biggest regret is we didn't get to use him. We didn't get to see Edwin Diaz with a one-run lead in the ninth inning of a playoff game. And that sucks. You know, sometimes you wonder, did you waste Jacob DeGrom's prime when the Mets were terrible in 18 and 19? I'm sure Yankee fans are wondering, did we just waste Aaron Judge's 62 home run season? And so, yeah, there's a fear. Did we just waste this dominant closing season that Edwin Diaz gave us? And now we get to free agency. And I just talked him up in a big way. 
it sort of means he's going to end up with the most lucrative contract a closer has ever seen. And very differently than when the Wilpons owned the team and the Mets made the trade for Edwin, that shouldn't be a problem. It really shouldn't. I can't give a closer $100 million. Why? Our owner has the money to do it. And as much as Jacob deGrom means the world to me, and he does, in terms of replacing guys, Edwin Diaz may be the most irreplaceable guy. Now, the one thing about closers, sometimes they come out of nowhere. And so there may be a guy, our next great dominant closer, not for the Mets, but in Major League Baseball, that you just don't see coming. But that's tough to predict. It really is. You can't rely on something like that. But I think when you look around baseball and you look how difficult it is to capture that dominant closer, you can't let him go. And I think that's the spot Edwin Diaz is in right now. They cannot let him go. But let's talk money. Is there a price off where you'd say, oh, I can't pay Edwin Diaz that. I have to let him go. The Texas Rangers just offered him blah, blah, blah. You're you're talking to the wrong person because I'm Steve Cohen. I have all the money in the world. There is no <laughs> price too much for, for me. I'm going to get Edwin Diaz back in a Mets uniform. And, and, and by the way, you're going to have to accept, and we all are, that he's going to get a five-year contract. That's the record amount of years a closer's ever gotten. Can he get a sixth year? Maybe he can. But let's just say because five is that benchmark that a few closers have hit, he's going to get five years. Okay, we'll accept that the last year of that contract may not be good. Maybe the last two years of that contract may not be good. I would need three of the five to be really good for it to be worth it. I think that's the way you have to look at some of these contracts. Uh, so, yeah, I, I admit that the back end of this deal may not be great, but then you ask yourself something. He's 28 years old. Uh, he'll turn 29 right before opening day. So, okay, he's 29 years old. 29, 30, 31, 32. All right, 32's not crazy. You know, 33's not that crazy. And even though, yes, he throws incredibly hard and maybe the velocity will go down at some point, the nastiness of his slider uh, I think Edwin Diaz can be an effective pitcher for the next half a decade. Evan, you keep on bringing up the back end of the contracts, back end of the contracts. Let me tell you something. Uh, right now, the way that this team is is formulated, I don't know how much of a window they really have. Now, listen, you and I would like to think that this team is sustainable for many years to come and that they're going to find ways to get into the playoffs consistently and win championships and all that other stuff. But realistically... With Scherzer, do you have a window of more than three years? No. If you bring DeGrom back, who knows how long his arm is going to stay on. So, I mean, realistically, if you want to tell me Diaz might may only be good for three out of the five years, I'm saying, great. That's what we need him for. Yeah, the, the only thing I disagree with you about is, yeah, their window in terms of the current roster starting pitching is very small. But I think their position players... When you look at the age of Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, even Jeff McNeil, I know he's not the youngest guy in the world, but I think he can be a good player for a while. And then the prospects, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Brandon Nimmo, if you keep, Marte's a little bit older. I think most of the lineup has a bigger window. So yeah, I think when you specifically talk about window for this team, I'd say it, I phrase it this way, the construction of this pitching staff, the way it is right now is small. 
but I almost envision maybe in a perfect world that the Mets develop position players, specifically Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio, assuming they're not traded, and then financially their investments when Scherzer and hopefully DeGrom's contracts run out would be to buy new starting pitching. And that would almost be the formula to succeed. You almost, I don't know if this is a perfect comparison, but the San Diego Padres rotation is all based on guys that they bought or traded for. Think about their big three. Blake Snell was a salary dump trade because Tampa Bay knew we're not paying him. They traded him away. Joe Musgrove was a keen trade. Hugh Darvish was a bought signing. So I think the formula, the Cubs certainly did it when they won the World Series in 2016, was let's build around a core of position players and then we'll buy the pitching. So I don't view the Mets as the window to win is only three years. I'd say the window with this group of pitching is three years and then hopefully it expires. The position players are good enough. You go buy new pitching. And with Diaz being your, you know, the expensive reliever that he is, he doesn't like, we just talked, you just talked about how 2022, there were so many roles for him. It wasn't about just the safe situation. It was about a close game. The seventh, eighth inning, he came in and why in three or four years, if he's not effective in that closer role, why can't he be effective in the seventh inning role? I know it's expensive to pay him to do that, but it's something you think about. He just needs to get people out. I look at it this way. If he gets people out at a high level, he can pitch whenever the hell we use him. (laughs) It's the way I view it. it. But you look at some of the contracts. Here's the the benchmark contract. A roldish Chapman after he was traded to the Chicago Cubs. And he had his up and down moments in the playoffs. When he went to Chicago, he was great for the two months that he was there. And then he was a free agent. And obviously the Yankees were intent on bringing him back. And they signed him to a five-year, 86-million-dollar contract. So what's that per year, by the way? Five years, $86 million. Let's get that calculator out and see. 86 divided by five, 17.2. I think Edwin Diaz, and that's the benchmark. There's a few that are close. Like Kenley Jansen got five years, 80. So same amount of years, a little bit less money. Uh, that was also in 2016. Also in 2016, Mark Melanson, what a contract that turned out to be, got four years, 62. Back a decade ago, Jonathan Papelbon set the bar with four years, 50. How about this one? In 2005, if I gave you 100 guesses, I don't think you'd get this, but there were two closers in 2005 that signed elite-level contracts. One of them was Billy Wagner with the Mets. He signed a four-year, $43 million deal. The other one, five years, $47 million was... Eric Gagne? No, no, you won't get it because it's not someone you'll even remember for the most part. Oh, geez. B.J. Ryan, the former Baltimore (laughs) Oriole left-handed reliever, signed with Toronto for five years and $47 million. Yes. No Um, idea. (laughs) Mariano Rivera is up on the list, three years, 45, back in 2007. A lot of money. But really, the benchmark is five years, 86. And if you look at Chapman... At that point in his career, and you compare it to Edwin Diaz, Edwin Diaz is going to be 29 years old before the start of this season when he signs the new contract. When Aroldis Chapman signed his contract after the 2016 season, he was also 29 years old. Aroldis had more experience and I think had more dominant seasons, more seasons of being a dominant pitcher. 
And in this case, was coming off, you know, an incredible year. He had a one five five ERA the year that he was a free agent and was traded to the Chicago Cubs and won a World Series. So I would certainly argue with you that Chapman had the better resume than Diaz going into free agency, and Chapman got years five years eighty six. Now that doesn't mean Diaz isn't going to get more. He is going to get more. Just because Chapman had the better resume six years ago doesn't mean that Edwin's going to get less because I think there's going to be a huge market for Edwin Diaz. I think any team, think about it. What team wouldn't be in the market for Edwin Diaz? What team has a closer so good that they'd say, now we're all right. What, Cleveland? They wouldn't be bidding on him anyway. Emmanuel Classe had an amazing season, no question, but they, really? Kenley Jansen's back in free agency. The Braves don't love him. I'm not saying the Braves are going to necessarily bid on Edwin Diaz, but my point is the LA Dodgers could use Edwin Diaz. Absolutely could. Craig Kimbrell lost a closer's job by the end of the season. Um, St. Louis, maybe St. Louis wouldn't. Ryan Helsley looked very, very good, even though he blew one of the postseason games and he's cheap. And maybe they want to spend their money elsewhere. But the Philadelphia Phillies couldn't use Edwin Diaz. The New York Yankees couldn't use Edwin Diaz. I mean, name the team. Maybe Toronto wouldn't. They're good with Jordan Romano. But Diaz and really the the, the climate of relievers right now would make Edwin Diaz a fit on any team in baseball that's willing, willing to pay the money. And so let's not lose sight of that. There should be a robust market for Edwin Diaz. And that's why my projection to you, Pete, would be if Chapman got year, five years, 86, I think Edwin's either at five or six years, and no doubt he's getting $100 million. We will have our first $100 million a year close, a $100 million closer, not per year. And so five years, 105, over 20 million a year. Yeah, I think that's probably the kind of contract we're looking at. Yeah, like the last podcast, we talked about Brendan Nemo's contract. I mean, I would not be surprised if they're very similar. I, I, you know, they're, and you, there's, like you said, there's so many more teams involved. The Texas Rangers, we talk about them. They're spending money left to right. They're, they're going to want to get a starting pitcher. They also have no bullpen, too. So they're another team that, that is a threat. And you got to remember, that's just skyrocket the price for Diaz. I mean, he may get 120 for five because of that. Yeah. Look, it, it really depends how many teams are going to bid that high for him. But I just look at, Who's out there? The other closers that are out there, none of them are even close to Edwin Diaz. I mean, there's nobody even in the same stratosphere as Edwin Diaz. There's no one you would look at and say, oh, you know, I didn't get Edwin Diaz. I'll go take care of this guy. It's just, it's a very, very kind of short list. And so if you get Texas bidding, if you get the LA Dodgers bidding, if you get the Yankees bidding, I don't think we think the Yankees are going to bid. Not a knock on them, but I think, you know, they're just not going to spend that much money. They already have spent a lot of money. Uh, but if you get three or four teams bidding heavily, then, yeah, you could be looking at that kind of contract. Are we willing to give it to them? I think you have to. And I think that's really the key because look at the other closers that are available. Kenley Jansen's back in free agency, and he's 35 years old, and he finished the season incredibly strong. But I would not trust Kenley Jansen at his age. And uh, he would just, he would drive us all nuts. Craig Kimbrell lost the closers role in Los Angeles. David Robertson, I know we all wanted to trade for him at the deadline, but it certainly wasn't as a closer. It was as just a quality relief pitcher. So 
the proven closer? Because obviously you could sign somebody and say, and I shouldn't forget a role as Chapman. I just think it's tough to take him really seriously as a closer, considering what ended up happening at the end. Same thing with Zach Britton. You know, Zach Britton had a really good career, but he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, when the Yankees did pitch him towards the end of the year, he didn't look like he had much left. Zach Britton is the kind of signing I'd make, but not as a replacement for Edwin Diaz. You want to bring Zach Britton in because, hey, let me see what he has left. Left-handed reliever. Maybe he can find himself again a year removed from Tommy John. He's only 35. He's not that old. Fine. But there's nobody in free agency that even comes close to replacing the value of Edwin Diaz. So it goes back, Pete, to what we talked about with Nimmo. Now we're talking trades. And we don't want to give up assets for a center fielder. You really want to give up assets for a relief pitcher like they did initially to get Edwin Diaz? No. No, thank you. No, no, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen that movie before, and we got screwed. I don't want to do that again. And, but this is now, and, and uh, Evan, this is the the craziest thing about the season. Just like reflecting on it, we're talking about a season where we probably have one of the top end center fielders in free agency, one of the top end starting pitchers, one of the top end relief pitchers. We had a first baseman who who put up you know record numbers RBI wise. We had a shortstop who put up record numbers, uh, you know, for team wise. And and it if we needed to get better, we need to get better. <laughs> I know, I know. The ice that blows my mind. Yeah, but don't don't think about it that way. <laughs> I know. Hey, they got to keep the the best center fielder on the market, the best closer on the market, the best starting pitcher on the market, and the odds are they're not going to keep all three as much as we want them to. Like the odds are they're not going to be able to, and. So you lose one of those three guys. And it's funny. We've done a podcast about Jake. We've done a podcast about Brandon. We've done a podcast about Edwin Diaz. And the verdict on all three at the end is you got to keep them, right? Because even with all three, it's how do you replace them? Even though Diaz is probably the most irreplaceable, maybe even more than DeGrom, as crazy as that is. Because here's the thing about losing DeGrom that way. And I'm not trying to minimize it. I don't want to lose him. Signing Justin Verlander on a short-term deal, hoping he has another year or two left, is an easier fix than what the hell you'd have to do to replace Edwin Diaz and how good he was. Uh, Again, you can take a risk. You can trade for a David Bednar. You could trade for a Gregory Soto and then just hope they're half as good. But the odds are, A, they're not going to be nearly as good, and B, the idea of going to the trade market and using assets to acquire not just our reliever, but the reliever, it's a daunting task because that's what they did to begin with in acquiring him. I don't remember the last trade for a bullpen arm that really worked out for the entire you know length of that contract. Like you could say like Chapman for the Cubs was perfect because they won a World Series. You know, Diaz worked out this year, but it took three years to really get there. You know what I mean? Overall, when are you trading for relief pitchers and then working out as well? They just don't really happen. Well, and I think a part of it is relievers are just so up and down. They're just they're just so up and down. And yeah, it's true. I mean, look at the last two years in terms of Aaron Loop and Adam Adovino. Aaron Loop two years ago was incredible. Had a great year. And the Mets made the wise decision saying he's not going to do it again. And they let him leave in free agency. He signs with the Angels. And he wasn't very good this year. And Adam Adovino sort of feels the same way. 
I'm not going to cry if they bring him back, but I also don't expect that Adovino would be able to match what he did last year. And that's very normal amongst relievers. But when you get those rare top end closers, the Chapmans until recently, Kenley Jansen, Edwin Diaz, like that handful of reliable closers. Those are the ones you can trust. You know, the other, yeah, there's a long list of guys who are up and down. Tanner Scott's, David Bednar's, Ryan Helsley's, Mark Melanson's been up and down. I think Josh Hader still fits that more reliable column despite his up and down struggles. But yeah, 95% of relievers are completely up and down. That's why when the Mets reconstruct their bullpen after Edwin Diaz, because they don't have a lot of guys under contract. They don't. You know, a lot of these guys who are in their bullpen who are key figures are all free agents. We just mentioned Adam Adovino. Basically, their entire bullpen outside of Drew Smith are all free agents. And you can replace them with guys. And if you hit it at the right spot, those guys may be better. Loop for Adovino, Adovino for loop, I should say. So that part of the bullpen is a crapshoot. I've always admitted that. But the top end closer is not. When you have a top-end closer, you really want to hold on to them. Um, and they have to. And believe it or not, of the three elite-level relievers, that uh, three, uh, three elite-level free agents, I should say, that the Mets have, I probably have the most confidence they keep Edwin Diaz. If I was ranking in terms of just predicting who's most likely to be a Met in 2023, I think I'd put Edwin Diaz number one. Now, we've all heard rumors about the ground, which probably leads us to that. He'll probably leave. He'll probably be in Texas. But Edwin Diaz seems genuinely, genuinely as someone who wants to be here, number one. And B, I think the Mets realize they can't lose him because the replacement market is more likely via trade than it is signing somebody. And like I mentioned, do you really want to go down that route of trading assets for relief pitchers? Not the right road to go down. You'd rather save those assets for something else. Though I would trade for Devin Williams. However, with the David Stearns news, I have a feeling that's not going to happen anytime soon. Why? What does that mean? Like, why would uh, David Stearns resigning as team president cause what? The Brewers are going to go about things differently? I mean, they're a mid-market team. They didn't want to pay Josh Hader. They're many years away from paying Devin Williams. So I don't think they're, like, worried about that necessarily. But I don't think his resignation changes uh, the philosophy of the organization because they promote it from within. That's fine, but they still don't. The fact that they didn't allow us to talk to him last year, I don't know if we, we talked about it a little bit off air. I'm not really sure if they're ready to let them talk again. Uh, you know, Stearns has made it known that he was going to stick with Milwaukee for, you know, what the time being. And uh, Cohen is committed to Epler, et cetera, et cetera. Right, but, but what does that have to do with trading for one of their players? I just feel like there's certain teams that are, are not as friendly. Like, if you were to tell me that Cleveland and the Mets were going to make a move together for, for Class A, I wouldn't be as shocked about that because I feel like they were already in cahoots. You know, there's just teams that deal with others differently. I feel like we're trying to find a way to sneak in to, feel, to, to buy Stearns or bring Stearns over, and that's, that, that, that's souring the taste in their well, mouth. I definitely think that there are owners that don't like Cohen. I think one of the biggest impediments to a deal for Shohei Otani may be before Artie Moreno sells the team, he doesn't like uh, Steve Cohen and he wouldn't want to deal off, you know, this elite level superstar box office star. But I think in general, most teams, and maybe I'm being naive in saying this, I think most teams make deals that are in the best interest of them. You know, sometimes an owner will get involved. 
I think in the case of Otani, an owner would definitely get involved. You know, I think sometimes a team won't trade in the division. We made that case with Mike Rizzo, and I think that's been proven. He doesn't trade inside the division. He doesn't want to help the Mets. I don't think that's a vendetta against the Mets more than it is he doesn't want to trade inside division. It's a philosophy. But if the Milwaukee Brewers are trading somebody, I don't necessarily think the Mets would be ruled out. Uh, But Devin Williams may not be one of the relievers that I think would be available, only because he's still so young and isn't that close to being paid. Same thing with Emmanuel Classe. I mean, you look at Cleveland almost as a – and that's why I brought up Shane Bieber a couple weeks ago when we talked about DeGrom as a potential target because, hey, he's only two years away from free agency, and I think they always have an eye on, if we're going to pay somebody, let's ship that guy out before we have to. The reliever thing, like I'm thinking, okay, what really good young reliever would be traded? You know, the White Sox aren't trading Liam Hendricks. Not that he's a good young reliever. He's just a really good reliever. Uh, the Blue Jays aren't trading Jordan Romano. Daniel Bard signed an, did Daniel Bard signed an extension with the Colorado with the Rockies? Rockies? Yeah, he, he upped us. Yeah. Which is Bard crazy. had a great year this year. Typical of a, you never know what's going to happen because Daniel Bard <laughs> having an amazing year makes no sense. And what made less sense would be Colorado saying, let's pay him and keep him. But, <laughs> but even if Daniel Bard was available, I wouldn't want him necessarily as a replacement. You know, Scott Barlow had a great year in Kansas City. I, I don't think they feel any need to have to trade him, have to move him. Jorge Lopez had a really good reliever year. But again, he fits that bill of up and down reliever. Wouldn't stun me if he sucks next year and pitches to a five ERA. And David Bednar may be difficult to acquire. And we mentioned him. I think you brought him up when we were talking about making a deal with the Pirates for Brian Reynolds. Bednar is like a Pittsburgh guy. So I don't know if Pittsburgh would necessarily move him. But these are the options. And the options suck. And then you think, okay, internally, are there options? Are there guys on the Mets right now who could step in and be the closer? Uh, if they re-sign Seth Lugo, Seth Lugo is a guy who has shown he could do it in the past, but none of us want to see Seth Lugo close. Michael no. Givens, if he's re-signed, he's closed before. No, thank you. And Drew <laughs> Smith, no, thank you. So <laughs> I-, I think the truth is the Mets are in this spot where they just need to re-sign Edwin Diaz, even if it gets to that sixth year, even if it gets into that $110 million range. He's a must re-sign when you look at how you would go about replacing an arm like that. All right, so you need to do a Twitter poll. Who is more likely to be re-sign with the Mets and put all, all three, Nimmo, DeGrom, and Diaz, and see what the fans think? Because I think they're going to agree with me. I think they're going to agree with me. I really do. <laughs> well, you should also put an option of resign zero because that's always <laughs> an option too. That will not happen. Or do you think they, what's more likely they resign zero or they resign all three? Hmm. I think the, the more likely is they resign zero out of all three. No, I don't think I that's going to happen. On. I just don't. They're You're not talking gonna, I, like I, the Wilpon Stallone, the team resigned. But no, zero? but it's impossible. It's a, no, no. Out of all three, to, it, compared to all three or or zero, they're more likely to sign zero than all three. I don't think they're going to be able to get Nimmo, Degrom, and Diaz back. I think Nimmo's gone. I think the rumor of Colorado just shows the the implications that there's other teams that are out there that are trying to get center field. And do we want to overpay for Nimmo? Is the question. You look, you know what really all of this is going to come down to, and it's a big mystery in year three of Steve Cohen's off seasons. And that is what's his budget. 
you know, every team has a budget. It's just certain teams have a higher budget than others. What's his budget? What's that number? You know, he's made it seem as if he'll do whatever it takes. And that doesn't mean he's going to sign every single free agent in the world. But when it comes to your own free agents, Nimmo, DeGrom, two homegrown guys, Edwin Diaz, a guy they have invested a lot of time in, I I think he's going to try to sign all of them. I really do. It doesn't mean he's going to because of DeGrom's unwillingness to be here or they're becoming a number for Nimmo or Diaz where they say that's too much and that's too crazy. But I would say there's a better chance all three resign than none of them resign. But I will put that Twitter poll up and see. And on the very next edition of Rico Bronia, we'll analyze the results of that poll. But I am confident that it will finish like this. Edwin Diaz will get over 50% of the vote. Brandon Nimmo will get about 30% of the vote. And then Jacob DeGrom, unfortunately, because I think we're just all kind of brainwashed to think he doesn't want to be here anymore. But either way, these are three huge free agents. And it is amazing. The best starting pitcher on the market, a Met free agent. The best center fielder on the market, assuming you don't count Judge as a center fielder, a Met free agent. And the best closer on the market, not even close, a Met free agent. On the next edition of Rico Bronia, we will discuss my favorite Met. And by the way, I don't mean my favorite Met. I mean our favorite Met. We'll go through some of the all-time favorite Mets that you had, that I had, that Hoff had, some obscure, some obvious, and why. So if you did have a, a favorite Met that maybe none of us would ever consider a favorite Met, you could tweet at us at Evan Roberts WFA and leave comments in the section of the Rico Bronia podcast. We'll also get into detail on all the other Met free agents. We think of Diaz, DeGrom, and Nemo, and we've invested full podcasts into them, but there are other free agents, including guys on the pitching staff like Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, relief pitchers, even some position players. Now, we won't do a podcast for each individual. We're just going to do a everybody else podcast because they don't deserve <laughs> their own damn podcast. So keep an eye out for Rico Bronia, and obviously we'll have instant reactions anytime there's breaking news as the offseason begins before you know it. You can check out Hoff with Tiki and Tierney. I'm with Craig 2 o'clock on the fan. Thank you for listening to another edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 